welcome everybody. Good to see each and every one of you. I enjoyed, you know, watching, um, you know, watching you interact with worship or watching you engage in, in, uh, in the services and, and with each other. And so we can to do that, to, to, to press in. And um, today is going to be a bit more of a traditional kind of service. And um, so we're not going to break out into groups. Um, and uh, but we'll do that periodically. Um, we're going to continue to uh, to just uh, 2021 and we're going to do so together as a community. And we're going to do the best that we can to keep doing what helps us to grow spiritually. And so um, as a church, we're going to uh, continue to think about that and talk about that. with. Um, and uh, and so one of the things that we want to do is to begin our year by looking through the book of First Thessalonians, and uh, in today's talk, we're going to be looking at a life of impact. Of impact, and as we think about 2021, I think most of us are living in a range of either I just want to make it through and survive, <laughs> or I want to thrive and I want to have impact. And that's true for every single one of us. There are days where um, you might be thinking of, I want to have such impact. I, I, I want to do more. And you get inspired and you really want to, uh, to, to make some changes in your life. Days where you're not going to feel that. There are days where you're going to get, you're just going to be uh, surviving. And that's about all uh, that, uh, that you'll have. And uh, in those, that's, that's the reality of our story, of our lives. Right, we have both within us. But what I want to talk about is this idea of impact and significance. Because at our best, we do want to have impact. We do want to have significance. We do want to leave our mark. We do want to make the world a better place. And so let's take a look at First Thessalonians, and we're going to read the first chapter, and then we'll unpack that and see what wisdom we can gain for being a people who do have something to contribute uh, and something of great significance uh, to do to, to give to other people. So let's look at First Thessalonians chapter one. And <clears throat> we're gonna read um, part of the when I can read the whole the whole section, we'll re just read a, a few verses here. So first Thessalonians one. Um, to Paul, or Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. Paul tends to begin almost most of his letters with that, uh, grace and peace uh, to you. Um, and then he gets into his, he tends to begin with his letters with gratitude uh, to the people that he is writing to, even though he's going to encourage them, he's going to give them some, some of his thoughts on what are the things that they could be doing to improve their lives, to, uh, to do better. And um, he begins with this starting point, which is gratefulness for them in his relationship with them. And so he begins verse two, we always thank God for all of you continually mention you in our prayers. Remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired 
by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is in Paul's favorite uh, uh, phrases, favorite words, is these three that he always combines together, faith, hope, and love. In this case, he reverses the order a little bit, and it's faith, love, and hope. But those three, he together. And, and it seems in his mind that they function together. They're not like separate topics. The three of them actually work together interactively, uh, symbiotically. So faith, hope, and love. And then verse, we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. And this is where I want to pause. Because this is the part that is attractive, and it's one of Paul's go-tos. He says this in, to the Corinthian church as well, that he didn't come with just words, with power, right? So what does he mean by power? What are we talking about here? So let's, we're going to look at those three things. But the first thing I want to talk about is um, uh, the faith, hope, and love, uh, and explore that a little love. Uh, these are people that he is grateful for who are not in any, by any stretch of the imagination, uh, perfect. They are people that he's going to address and talk about a lot of things that, he, that they need to be on and thinking about as a church. And, uh, but he begins by, uh, by affirming that these are people of faith, they're people of hope, and they are people of love. Here's what I love about scripture. The more I, I look at it, the more I read it, the more I understand it to the conclusion that it has nothing to do with living a sinless, a perfect life. That actually it's the contrary. It's those who attempt to live a perfect and sinless life are the ones that are actually not living. They're not engaged in real life. They're engaged in some kind of performance, but they're not living and they're not engaged in their real lives. And Paul wants to say about these folks that makes it so that you are God's chosen people, that you are the people that God really loves a whole lot. It's because you have faith, you have hope, and you have love. And those things are far more important, that you're living a life of faith. What does that mean? That you don't have doubt? Nope. <laughs> it does not mean that you don't have doubt. What faith means is that you keep moving forward. You keep leaning towards goodness, towards, the, towards love, towards the things of God. You keep leaning in that direction. And you do so failing forward. You fail, but you fail forward. Right? And he talks about love, and it's not a life of, uh, of perfection, not a life of performance. It's a life of love. And so they're doing their best. They're moving forward based upon the motivation of love. Hope and hope is that thing that takes us from the present to the future. I love hope because the, the word hope, how many like the word hope? What does that feel? Doesn't that feel good to you when you, whenever you hear hope, it's like, ah, yes, we need some of that. We need some of that in 2021. We need a lot. Um, this hope feels so good inwardly because it takes us from now and into the future. Faith is really about now. 
Faith is about the immediate. It's what are you doing now in the moment? That's what, that's how faith is used in scripture. Love is also used in that. It's an action. It's a motivation towards people. This is my motivation is love. But hope is that thing that takes you from here into the future, like hope for a better world, hope for, uh, you know, for, uh, for a better 2021. Uh, Paul uh, uses faith, hope, and love. And when he is speaking about this to these Thessalonians, this is, this is about living your life authentically, about being real, about being who you are. That there's no pretension, faking it. There's only living. And it's living your life, not someone else's. And you must fail. You must get it wrong if you're going to live life. <laughs> Otherwise, right? And so this is what I, I, uh, I enjoy so much about this thought, is, is how this is about living your life right now in this moment. Let's think about Paul for a moment. Paul, in his early years, was driven very driven religious dude who uh, wanted to ascend and be impactful in the world. So he was one of the most driven religious leaders at a young age. And so he went out and to make sure that the Jewish faith was, was preserved and was loved by the Jewish people. And so what does he do? Well, he, he gets, he's so ambitious that he wants to even persecute those who are leaving or appearing to leave the Jewish faith. And so, them. But you know something, even though we might look at that and say, wow, this guy was a little bit of a nut job. He loved, he, he really loved God and wanted to do the right thing. And so he really worked hard at that, but uh, he was within the system. He was part of the system. He was trying to do the, the right thing. And so God doesn't condemn him. There's no condemnation ever uh, for Paul and what he had done. There's only a redirection. Like you're not going in the part of the system. You haven't discovered yet what your purpose, your mission, your calling, your love, the thing that is makes you you, thing that you love to really do. You haven't discovered that. You're living from something else. You're living from anger, maybe. You're living from, uh, from, from a need to be good, a need to be right, a need to be strong, whatever. You're living from something else, but you're not living from a place of love. And so what happens is that he has this experience with Jesus. And do you know what happens immediately after his experience with Jesus? Does anybody immediately after? He doesn't go into ministry. He spends three years alone. Three years alone. In the desert. And you might wonder, why would you do that? Why would that be the case? And I want to use an analogy from the Hebrew scriptures, from the life of David, is that the reason is because for most of our lives, oftentimes protecting ourselves from being our true self, we don't really live our lives. We live someone else's life, someone else's ideas, someone else's way of being. We wear, in other words, Saul's armor. And it takes us a while to get rid of it. It takes us a while to shed that. And so those three years, I think, were really about Paul having to shed an old way of thinking, an old way of being that really was never him, to rediscover who he is and who Christ had made him to be. And when that happens, 
and we rediscover who we are. Um, then there's a, a, a sort of energy or power that emerges from that. And when Paul begins his ministry, there's power to it. I came to you not with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with conviction. The reason why he could is because he had shed Saul's armor and begun wearing his own. But it is terrifying to wear our own. I've talked to so many people over the last, uh, over this past who, when I asked them, if you were to live your truth, who you really are, what really is your contribution to make to the world? When you really get underneath and you start seeing the protection we've built around ourselves, it's scary because if you were to really do the thing that is yours to do, then you could be rejected in, the, in that very area. And, and I'd rather be rejected my, I'd rather my pretense, my persona to be rejected than from my very heart, who I really am and my true contribution. That's the most painful sort of rejection. And I believe that most of us have experienced that at a young age, which is to develop these personalities, these layers. In other words, we developed Saul's armor. And we have to reverse that to go back to the truth of who we are. The pure to live unashamed, to live unafraid, to put ourselves out there. Because there's only one way to power spirit in conviction. And that is when we live our true lives, contributing the very thing that is our love to contribute to the world. The thing that we enjoy actually putting out there. It's terrifying. But it's also the most powerful thing. So that's the, that's the part of it that has to do with, um, with us. There's a second part, which is the part that's interesting to me in 1 Thessalonians 4, because he starts in verse 4, for we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he, God, has chosen you. Why? Because our gospel came not simply with words, but with power. So this is interesting because it's not just that Paul speaks with his authentic life. He is living the truth of who he is. He is failing loudly and boy, does he fail and he fails in many different ways. But it's because he's also recognized that they're receptive to his message. People that want the kind of contribution, the kind of love that Paul is putting out there. His faith, his love, and his hope. This, as Jesus roamed about, and we read these, this in the Gospels, Jesus roamed about, and he went from town to town, not just simply because he liked to travel, but because he went where there was receptivity. And where there wasn't, he moved on. And Paul the Apostle does the same thing. He starts out, and he here in Thessalonians is really working at who is receptive, who is hearing this message. And apparently, these people had, and they were taking it in. And so, the more willing to contribute. And there's this wonderful, there's this wonderful cycle 
of give and take where Paul is giving and he is receiving because they are receiving the gifts of his love for them. But then Paul later on would move on and go to the non-Jews, the Gentiles, because they were more receptive and they wanted it. And one of the things I've noticed is how for us, because there's oftentimes we bang our heads against a wall. We're trying to give the way we love to give to others. And some people in our circles will never receive the kind of love that we're trying to give. We'll never receive our gifts, our contribution. Are you with me? <laughs> Come on, if you've ever lived, you know what I'm talking about. When you're, when there's something that you love to somebody, but when you do so, it is not received. How does that make you feel? It shuts you down. It is so painful. It is so difficult because then you don't have anything to contribute if people are not receiving it. And sometimes we stay far too long. And I wonder if Paul were to look back on his life and we were to have a conversation with him, if he would say, you know, in some cases, I think I stayed too long. I tried too hard. I think I banged my head against a wall. I really wanted these people to hear it. I've had a conversations with certain clients uh, over the holidays and they said, you know, I went home and I fell right back into the old routines, the old patterns with my family. And I wanted so much to like, you know, contribute. And I could see as I was sharing things with them that they were not receptive to anything. Like I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't share parts of me. I had to edit out huge chunks. We talk about how to do that and just how to make peace with people, how to live at peace with these people. Your family, your friends, your circles, your coworkers. But also to recognize that that's not where able to have a life of power, a life of spirit, and a life of conviction. You're going to have to find other people who are receptive to the kind of love that you want to put out into the world. And that's also true. And sometimes we've got to just simply accept. It's not that they become our enemies, but we have to accept, um, you know, that people are going to accept and some people are not. We have to accept that and be okay with it. Our enemies, these are just people like, okay, this is as far as it'll go with this, this friendship, this relationship. But in other cases, there are going to be people that are tremendously receptive to our love and to the gifts that we have to give. And this celebrates with these Thessalonians is that they had received. And that's why it came with power, with spirit, and with conviction. Let's talk about power, spirit, and conviction. Power, I'll say this very briefly. I wish I had more time to speak on this idea of power, but uh, power is the reversal of the curse in Genesis. So this is theological. Paul is very theological on how he uses his, his words. But when he's speaking about how in the lives of people, it's a reversal of the curse of Genesis. Now in Genesis, the curse is that we will labor and produce very little fruit in life, right? So it's a lot of hard work, little fruit. You with me? You know what that's like? It's really hard to eke out a living and it's not even satisfying to your soul, 
<laughs> How many have had jobs like that where you're like, you're working, you're working so hard to eke out a living and it isn't even sad if you don't even enjoy your work. <laughs> and that's to be. But you've also had moments where whatever it was that you were doing was so abundant in fruit. In fact, you've had people that have said to you, wow, I really loved how you did that. I really loved how you, I really loved this about you. And you'll sit there and look at that or listen to that and think to yourself, well, that wasn't, that was nothing. How many of it, how many of you have said that? Like, oh, please, that was nothing. Oh, please, that was nothing, right? You say that all the time, like, oh, please, that's nothing. What are you doing when you say that? Oh, please, it's nothing. You're rejecting, not, not, you know, I hate to say this harshly, but you, you are kind of like not paying attention to the fruitfulness of your life. <laughs> it's, it's so funny how we'd rather, it's this curse thing of working super hard, eking out a small existence, than to actually recognize that there's fruitfulness that we are having. In the areas of our fruitfulness, we're not paying attention to, but we're paying attention to the areas that are not fruitful. Why? Because the human brain is, is, is designed to pay attention to the threats in life, not to pay attention to the good things. That's just the way our, our brains talk. Right, it's for self-preservation. So we have to deliberately pay attention. Where is the fruitfulness? Paul had to do that. Oh, the fruitfulness is here in, Thessalonica, in, in, in Thessalonica. Okay, good. That's where I will spend some time really hard because he might have wanted to have fruitfulness elsewhere. In fact, in, uh, in the book of Acts, you'll see he'll go one place and there's very little fruitfulness and he has to leave. And you know what? He had good friendships there. He had people that he loved, but he had to say, I got to go. I can't, I can't, I can't just keep energy into this person that I hope will finally receive my love and they won't take it. And instead now I got to shift gears and go to the places where people really do love this and are receptive to it. Pay attention to the areas of your, whether it's in a relationship or it's at work or it's somewhere else. And that's where you pour your energy. But it's hard, right? Because we have, we have attachments. We want certain people. We want comfort things that we have gotten stuck in. And it's very difficult to get out of those in order to experience fruitfulness. I get it. I get it. I'm with you. And so this is the thing that we uh, challenged by, huh? In First Thessalonians, like Paul has to do this, and Paul does this, and this is why he has a life of impact. Um, okay. Second is spirit. Spirit is uh, the inspiration. That sense of like, oh, that that's I feel inspired. I feel connected to you, right? And that happens when we're giving and people are receiving and then they're loving what they've received. And and now we're receiving from them. And there's this back and forth interaction that feels so wonderful and connecting to us. That's spirit. That is spirit. And thirdly, conviction. Knowing. I, I don't know how I know. I don't know why. I, know. I just know. And we know that when we're going in the direction that we should go in our lives, there's a sense of, I know, but I'm not entirely sure why I know, and I'm not entirely comfortable with this. 
and it is stretching me and it is scaring me and it is difficult, but there's something restful about, I just know that I know that I know. And as long as I keep moving in that direction, you know one thing for sure, you're no longer a spectator. You are now in the game. You're no longer. There's so many spectators, plenty of them. How many times I can tell you how many times I've been a spectator watching someone else doing something and then criticizing. You know, the, you know, the, the sports fans. Oh, my gosh. Why did he throw that pass? That was the, that was terrible. And, and, and it's so easy. It's so easy to spectate. but so difficult to actually engage in the game of game when we're scared, when it's difficult. And yet we also know that there's no place we'd rather be because we know there's a conviction. This is my path. This is what I have to do. Right. That receive the gifts of our love that receive our contribution also have that experience of conviction, which is that they receive it and they say, man, that was good. And I, I know that what you're saying is good and what you're doing is good and what you're doing is true. There's this mutual sense of conviction. And we've all had these moments where we've been around situations, people, churches, uh, where there was something amiss, something off, something that didn't feel quite right. And we're like, eh, I'm hearing words and the words seem okay, but there's something off, right? Yeah, there's something off. And again, it has to do with, are you living your life? Are you living the truth of your life? And are you living a life of faith, hope, and love? I say, and then um, we'll have some conversation around this. The last thing I want to say is actually the first thing that Paul says, which is he is thankful. This is where I have a lot of personally. Because the practice of gratitude for Paul is he is grateful for them because they were people who received the gospel that he shared with his heart, his love, his message of transformation. And I think about how being grateful, being thankful for the people around us must be. Uh, forgotten. These are the things we don't pay much attention to is, you know, the people that are closest, the people that are the most receptive sometimes are the ones that we don't pay attention to. The squeak is the one that gets the grease, right? And oftentimes our attention is drawn to people that are difficult in our lives, people that don't contribute much, people that draw on us a whole lot, people that are negative and we spend so much energy and time with those folks. And then when we come home or when we go out and spend time with uh, our friends, we're not the people that actually do love and receive from us and contribute to us. And this is, we're oftentimes not there really present to them. We're not able to 
give that energy that we would like, and we're the least grateful uh, to them. Paul has a reversal of energy. He does not squeaky wheel. Jesus never did. Do you ever notice this? If you've read the Gospels, not once did Jesus spend time with the people that were the most critical of him. It's like, oh, yeah, apparently this message isn't for you. Okay, time to move on. Oh, apparently, contributing. Oh, okay. Okay, that's cool. No judgment. In some cases, there was judgment. <laughs> but most of the time, it was, okay, time to move on. Right? But the ones that were the closest to him is the one that he spent the time and at the end, praise this beautiful prayer in John 17 for his disciples, for those he loves the most and those who are the closest to him. Paul does this with every church that he has spent time with. He starts out by saying, I thank on every thought of you. In fact, he gets sappy in some books, like in Thessalonians, he gets really, uh, there's a chapter I'm going to talk about. I don't like this chapter, but he's really sappy here. He's really mushy. He's, he's, he's sensitive. He's touched by a lot of stuff. It's too much, Paul. And yet this is the sort of gospel message that it's all part of the gospel. It's all part of what it means to live a life of faith. And Paul opens his heart up and says, I thank God for you. You were receptive. You took it in. You welcomed it. And so I think about my life. I think about our lives. And I want to propose this thought and question to us. Is are we grateful for the people in our lives? Or do we just simply look at them as, eh, you know, of course, you'd be receptive because I'm your mom. Of course, you'd be receptive because, you know, you're my wife. Of course, you'd be receptive because or simply not their receptivity and just going about life. But there are people all around you that love you. There are people all around you that love what it is you contribute and are grateful for it. And those are the people that we can turn to and begin practicing this gratitude and turn our energy away from that which is critical, rejectful, negative, dark, and turn our attention to that which proves our fruitfulness so that we aim our lives in areas of greater fruitfulness. Like, oh, you, you receive that? Oh, that's, that's information for me too. Like, I, I guess I have something to contribute in this space, even though I think it's nothing. And I always didn't take much effort. Oh, okay. I should. Okay, great. Thank you. And then spend more time celebrating and being grateful for that.